This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is Mark Antrak, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, Anxiety Canada's podcast that talks about individuals' experience with anxiety, which can be found at anxietycanada.com, in addition to most mainstream streaming platforms. Today, our guest is John Bateman, a big friend and champion to us at Anxiety Canada. He's a mental health advocate who's passionate about normalizing and destigmatizing the experience of anxiety through his work as the interviewer of Our Anxiety Stories since its inception in 2019. He's also a well-known comedian, writer, event host, and woodworker based in Salt Spring Island, British Columbia. John, welcome. Thanks, Mark. I, I appreciate you uh, doing flipping the script with me here. Yeah, uh, so we'll in a reverse though. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm 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 very happy to be uh, interviewed by you. I mean, I had um, you know thought about a way, to, some way of interview myself, but uh, it just you know I think I would have been too predictable. Uh, it's mm. much better for you to do that. And it's interesting hearing that little re- r- write up. I don't think many people know that uh, comedy is one of my big things because from my podcasts, I am usually not throwing out the one liners, but mm-hmm. it's certainly one of my big, big combatants against anxiety. We're certainly going to get a lot of opportunity to get into that today. Yep. So yep. I'll mm-hmm. start us off with a question that you're so used to asking. Uh, yep. John, what is your anxiety story? I, I wasn't expecting that. Um, yeah, my anxiety story is uh, deep and wide and uh, pretty complex. And it started at a very young age, um, you know, with a, basically in a situation that I, I didn't really know it was anxiety. I didn't have any identifiers that that was anxiety. And it was when my uh, parents separated. Um, I had a great deal. It was for me, it was it was an abrupt uh, happening. So um, I was only five at the time. And that's when I first, you know, remember having some, anything that would be, you know, considered anxiety, you know, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty about the future. Um, As you know, anxiety dwells in the future largely. And uh, that's where it really took off. And and it, you know, it kept going from there. I, uh, I kind of went on to uh, temper tantrums, um, bad, bad tummies, um, all these things that we now know are indicators. Uh, for anxiety mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. go quiet at times and that kind of thing and, and I kind of had you know basically a, a, a I had a I'd say a very good childhood all things considered um, and then when I was uh, around 12 maybe 10 12 um, <clears throat> I was at a friend's place watching uh, tv and this show this commercial came on um, you know I grew up in the 70s and 80s late 70s early 80s as I'm talking now here and uh, and a uh, uh, commercial came on for a movie called the late great planet earth and it was all about um you know the revelations um this we're talking scary religion um and about you know how world war three was going to happen this was this is what was hung over us when 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 we were kids and um <clears throat> and i had my whole body just like flushed like just i, I felt every I just felt, you know, anything, my body drained for all, I can't think of any way to put it. And just instant anxiety, instant panic, like not a word straight out of my friend's room, straight out of his house to my place as fast as I could. And then 
um, told my mom what was going on. And um, in, uh, in hindsight, uh, you know, talking to her in later years, she, um, she said she was expecting that I would have an, a panic attack. And, and I think she was fairly, you know, for the late 70s, she was fairly well informed about mental health issues mm-hmm. uh, for that era. Um, so I went uh, uh, from there, you know, I, I, I would calm down and, and I would start having panic attacks, you know, still and, and for sometimes for a reason and sometimes for no reasons. I think a lot of people who are listening have experienced uh, panic attacks out of nowhere, seemingly uh, mm-hmm. triggered by nothing. Um, I had that. And then, you know, then it was pretty, you know, I'd say, you know, I saw my first psycholo- psychiatrist when I was probably 12 and um, it was a, f- a forgettable experience. Uh, it didn't really give me much in terms of, you know, anything other than listening. And um, then I, uh, I, I kind of cruised through, you know, middle school, high school, uh, still with some anxiety, still, still happening, but not paralyzing me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, sort of after high school, after I graduated, I had about a year off. And, and the beginning of that year, during that year, I uh, became, um, I, I wasn't doing anything. I didn't have a plan. And um all my friends were going to college, all my friends were going traveling and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't doing that. So I started to really isolate and, um, and my, my brain started, you know, ruminating more. And that's when I fell into my first, you know, real depression. Um, with me, anxiety uh, has always, you know, been the, been the Pied Piper to depression. Um, and so I went through that for a few years. I, I uh, found a good psychiatrist which is very valuable uh, you know anybody going through it there I highly recommend taking your time to find the right person I found the right person I was lucky and uh, started on on some medication to control my anxiety control my depression and uh, was uh, I was you know that was medication at that time was one called clonazepam it's a benzodiazepine um, for you know in, in other terms it basically is a mild tranquilizer um, highly addictive. Uh, however, I was really lucky. I, I've been really lucky in my life that I haven't, I've had an easy time in terms of anything, you know, addiction. I, I, I just don't, don't seem to get addicted to things. And so I'm very lucky with that. And I was on Prozac. Um, and then, you know, it was kind of coasting again. And, uh, I, uh, uh had, uh, my wife and I had kids, um, 2002 to 2005 and, and that also raised my anxiety game uh, because you know here's this thing you know you've got this whole new level of love and this whole new level of commit you commitment you you know I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of before and mm-hmm. you know start thinking about mortality and one of my favorite things to be anxious about is health anxiety it's something that's right. always there it's always something to grab onto a- any mild you know sense of OCD just feeds on that and um, topic these days yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, and i uh so i was I, I was on and off kind of medications through through that and um yeah now i'm presently on uh, a low dose of a medication called uh, escitalopram um this is what a so transparency sorry. is all about yep about yeah, for yeah. me um you know i say it with head held high because i really feel like there's a time and place for medication um, mm-hmm. and, and the mistake that people can make. And, and I understand it's easy because when you're feeling better on medication, you don't want to address what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and that, so that, uh, I finally learned 
you know, more recently that that's what I've had to do. And that's where I got into cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's when I met um, our, uh, our fearless leader, Judith, at Anxiety Canada. And uh, we started a relationship. And that's where this podcast ultimately came from. And that brings mm. me to, to now. Still Great. have anxiety most days. Um, still deal with it most days, Great. you know? Yeah, yeah. What a powerful statement to be able to have this longstanding history with so many different versions of how this thing presented itself in your life. Because mm -hmm. when I'm hearing there was a strong kind of critical incident or inception point when your parents separated, I'm also mm -hmm. hearing a lot of threads of existential anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing threads about a lot of safety and security, you know, mm -hmm. with World War III and just all these other elements that are just kind of bombarding someone who's yeah. really young. Yeah. What I'm also quite curious around is how your mom noticed or she kind of anticipated it. Can you well, elaborate on that? Yeah, well, I think, I, I mean, I, I, she had a challenging childhood. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that she, you know, say she, I don't, I don't know about whether she had anxiety or not. That's, um, but for, for whatever reason, I think she knew how the divorce affected me. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think she, you know, I think because she, she's, uh, she's such an incredible parent, incredible mother um, who literally saved my life. Um, with this and, and then going through my first depression with me. Um, <clears throat> she just seemed to, she, she, she would seek it out. She, she would inform herself and she would educate herself, even with, you know, the limited resources they had back in the late seventies, you know, there's no, understand there's no internet to go to. Um, there's no, uh, there's, there's a tiny percentage of the, of the books you can reference nowadays, but she knew psychologists and psychiatrists. She just knew that, that this was a distinct possibility for me. And, um, and it's still, you know, I, I still don't think it ultimately, you know, what I went through my early twenties, I don't think it braced either of us. You know, we were, either of us were really prepared for that, for the mm -hmm. anxiety depression combo that mm -hmm. we, you know, we essentially faced together. But I think my mom was just well-educated and well, well-written and really in tune, well-read and really in tune with um, mm -hmm. whether, what her kids are going through for sure. Such a normalizing and I'm, imagining a very supportive environment for you to really jump off of because totally as you were saying you know even 20 30 years ago mental health was a very different climate we had mm -hmm. so much less information so much less accessible information albeit mm -hmm. and you know on the topic of stigma because obviously this is a huge passion of yours decreasing that stigma how have you found interacting with your mental health and those in your community over the years like when you first realized this was a thing and then later on yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so I kind of I kept it, you know, very hush hush for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say I'd say I haven't really been openly like, you know, openly advocating in every way in the way that I do now or, or am open about my about my mental health challenges, you know, uh, probably the last five to seven years, truly where I, I've been truly transparent. But I think, you know, uh, I started telling people like I, I wrote a humor column. I, I wrote a humor column for 12 years uh, in a magazine here and and a, and a which turned into a, a humor book. Um, and and uh, once when I was going through anxiety and anxiety time in my life, I decided to write an article about it. Um, I decided, OK, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to write an article about my anxiety. And uh, I did it. It was, uh, you know. I think it was a gutsy move 
<laughs> because mm-hmm. everybody expects mm-hmm. to read my article and laugh. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, that's when the feedback started coming in. That's when, you know, that's when, it, you know, the magic happens. And, and the magic is finding out there's other people going through it. Mm-hmm. People I know, um, people I've seen around for years and years. And then once that feedback started coming in, that's when I started to feel more comfortable. Um, I'm very, you know, I'm one of those dual people that I, I'm quite comfortable and quite happy, happy up to on stage. I, you know, I do all kinds of hosting and events and stuff like that and weddings, whatever. I'm very happy being up on, on stage, but you, you know, you get me into smaller crowds, one-on-one all on the same floor, on the same level. Uh, I'm not quite the same person. Um, so people weren't expecting that from me. They thought I was just always jovial and joking. Mm-hmm. So that's when I just, you know, I got so much great feedback from that that I just started projecting it and, you know, asking, you know, would ask somebody how they were, if they weren't doing too well, I would talk to them. If anybody, people started approaching me and then it just started, um, you know, it started snowballing from there. Mm-hmm. And like I say, I found there was real, it was like, there was real magic in that. Um, it mm-hmm. really helped. And, and, you know, it helps other people, but uh, I don't think there's anything selfish about it. It helps me too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how that all evolved, you know, the, the advocacy and being open and honest piece is, is mm-hmm. how, you know, that that's, it all, it all just evolved from that. And, and I got, you know, a real, um, a real good sense of it. If people can do it, I have done all kinds of therapy and I always say that I've had a parade of, you know, an absolute parade of psychologists and psychiatrists mm-hmm. and, and actually acu- acupuncturists and Reiki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just name the discipline. I've tried it. Um, of, of ways of different therapies and different self treatments. And um, to me, possibly the most potent one is group therapy. I was going to ask you, yeah, because we had this chat and you talked about how big of a shift and how salient that example was when, well, please, by all means. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, exactly. I, um, I, I, I had such bad anxiety at one point that I ended up being in the hospital for, I think a couple of nights with basically mm-hmm. suicidal ideation. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, there, there was no plan. It was just ideation, but it was scary enough. And, and that's when I met um, a woman who I interviewed, I believe in season two, Anastasia Williams. And uh, mm-hmm. she was teaching uh, through Vancouver Island health authority, um, a cognitive behavioral therapy course. And it was a group course. And, and uh, so I was enrolled in it. And uh, I think it was once a week for 12 weeks or something. I forget what, what exactly it was, but um, I remember walking in and, I, and mind you, I live in a fairly small community. Um, mm-hmm. I know quite mm-hmm. a few people. I'm out there. I know quite a few people. I, I walked into that um, portable at the time. It was, was portable. And I, I walked in there and I remember looking at everybody and, uh, and I knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, some people I knew very well. And I got the same look back because I was this guy who was pictures in the magazine every month or every week, something. And I'm out there all the time. I'm on stage all the time. And I, I walk in and I'm I, to them. I'm funny, you know, right. and, and really I think I had it all together. It's uh, it, and, and I, and I literally looked around the room and I was like, you know, I, I, I was just like, oh my gosh, you, 
you like not you really you and i, and I was like i wasn't saying this out loud obviously <laughs> i wasn't like pointing at people you, you know you're as messed up as i am but i uh but i was definitely um and, and it, oh my gosh it was so disarming it was so mm. and humbling too. all those words it was just uh to realize that not only am i not alone but you know these people that i walk by on the street you know every day uh, are going mm. through it Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of one of the one of the tools I often use when I'm out on the street, because, you know, if you do, don't have to dig deep to know the numbers. And if you're stay, if you're out there standing on any street corner at any given time with a dozen people, mm -hmm. statistically, three or four of them have anxiety issues. Yeah. You know, and um, and, and you're certainly not alone. And, and yep, sure, they may look put together. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, we all when we all when we go out in public, we all put on these uniforms. We put Absolutely. on these masks and it, 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 and understandable. It's self-defense to a large mm -hmm. degree. You can't always be hanging your emotions out there. Um, yeah. that, that would be exhausting. Society would cease to function. And that's why they call it often the invisible disability, right? Yeah. Because so yeah. often there's individuals who have this raging inferno going on or whatever variation of a metaphor you want to give for that. Yeah, yeah. But this is a thing that impacts us so heavily, but oftentimes we wouldn't even know looking at someone. Yeah. So exactly. I imagine that moment walking in and having everyone see you, you're modeling a lot of vulnerability just by walking into that room, just by publicly announcing, Hey, I'm here and I've, I've got anxiety. I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. And that's where, and of course at, at, at CBT, that's where I learned about cognitive behavioral therapy, which mm -hmm. as you know, is, is the foundation of what anxiety Canada preaches. And um, mm -hmm. I use the cognitive behavioral therapy uh, every day. I don't mm -hmm. use every rule of cognitive behavioral therapy every day, <laughs> but I use the, I use the techniques that definitely work for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it was, yeah, it was great. And we still meet it's many, many years later. We still meet right now, of course, virtually, um, you know, we're dreaming about getting together at some point again, um, mm -hmm. still valuable. And, uh, and we still get new people coming into the group and, and some people mm -hmm. going out of the group and coming back, but it's, it's, it's turned into a really helpful community for me, for sure. And, and I highly recommend it if people can get, get into something like that. That's such a, such a great insight because I think so often, you know, we think about therapy in a one-on-one -on -one setting, mm -hmm. but then the idea of potentially engaging with a group, the idea of not only being able to support other people just by simply being there and modeling that vulnerability, you're also getting a lot of validation just by having other people acknowledge that suffering that you're going mm -hmm. through as well. Yeah. And, and I found that, you know, with one-on-one, -on -one, I found since my experience um, <clears throat> in the early nineties with, uh, with therapy, um, has changed quite a bit. Uh, I'm talking about um, uh, not psychology, but psych psycho um, psychotherapy. Um, mm -hmm. That it's changed. It's not so much when I when I go and see a psychiatrist. Um, I I used to go and we'd talk. You know, mm -hmm. we'd dig in. Um, but that's kind of evolved. I think it's really hard for uh, for psychiatrists to do that. And largely, I find they they pull the strings on medication a lot mm -hmm. nowadays, which mm -hmm. is good. We need a place for that too. Mm -hmm. But there's such an incredible plethora of um, psych psychologists now um, mm -hmm. out there. And the astonishing thing is they're all busy. Um, you know, they're, they're yeah. almost all full. Um, not not to discourage anybody, but you you have mm -hmm. to keep trying. But um, 
So, you know, there's definitely, you get different little um, pieces of, uh, you get different, you get different help from different elements. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you, you said it so perfectly, you know, we're in this day and age where mental health awareness is really just so sporadic. And we have some people who know a ton on it, some people who still know very little. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of these messages like anxiety is there to protect you. It's this internal alarm system that's mm -hmm. gone rogue. Mm -hmm. And by the sounds of it, you've gone through so many different kinds of therapies. I'm wondering what was it about CBT that gave you a different insight or what was it about CBT that stood out as compared to those other modalities that you tried? For sure. Well, I find talk therapy very helpful. Uh, I'm mm. finding this helpful, right? Mm. No, no bills, please. No, <laughs> no charge today. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, okay. But um, I, I find that very, uh, I find talk very helpful, but um, you are not with your psychologist or your psychiatrist every day when you wake up in the morning. Mm. Uh, hopefully they're not there when you wake up in the morning. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so, so you need, you know, we need to, you know, as people with difficulties with, uh, mental health, we need to figure out ways to do it ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. and I learned through the CBT course that, you know, our thought, our, our, our thought processes evolve, you know, we're not necessarily born with the way we think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to give you my example, I, you know, my parents split up, suddenly it happened, um, and my brain started going into this, I don't want to be alone. Um, the world is unsafe. Um, I, I, can't, I don't want to, you know, commit to anything that's kind of away from my mom, uh, away from my safe zone, if you want to put it that way. And um, mm -hmm. the brain starts just hitting those neural pathways. And, it, and it's just like any pathway. Uh, it's mm -hmm. like a grass pathway. It just gets worn. It gets worn mm -hmm. and your brain just gets used to doing that. And in mm -hmm. CBT, uh, slowly gets you out of that. Um, whatever negative thinking you might have or catastrophizing or fortune telling all the different um, ways that, that our brains work. So, you know, I was a big, you know, big catastrophizer, a big fortune teller. And um, so I, I, I have to catch myself on that all the time. And CBT, I think the most important little element that anybody can start with and why it really worked with me is, is just catching negative thoughts, period. And not for me, I, I just catch negative thoughts. I don't try to dissect them I, because that can bring you down a, a rabbit hole of rumination. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not try to dissect them. I just try to catch them. And that may mean during the day, oh, negative thought. 10 seconds later, I say to myself, that's a negative thought. An hour later, that's a negative thought. Just constantly. And I find that really helped you know, work the path in a different way in my brain. Mm -hmm. And then st I started, you know, taking the other things, you know, ch like getting into more detail analysis of what type of thought it is, mm -hmm. whether it's fortune telling or catastrophizing or, you know, uh, then, then identifying it as that, that's fortune telling, mm -hmm. that's catastrophizing. Uh, yeah. And then uh, attaching a realistic statement to it. And, you know, the, you know, realistically, I'm getting on a plane realistically, statistically, this plane's not going to crash. Mm -hmm. Now let, let's be logical about this. Right. And, um, and logic, my goodness, you know, uh, when it comes to anxiety, logic goes out. It's the first out the window. Logic is mm -hmm. the first to leave the building <laughs> and, uh, and you're stuck there without logic uh, because you're going through this such a, you know, such a swell yeah. of, of emotions physically and emotionally that mm -hmm. logic's just like, I'm out of here. And, and, and you're sent with, you're, you're stuck with, you know, these, 
your brain's just going off in all directions. So that's why, I mean, that's a long answer to why CBT works. And there's yeah. so many other things that CBT does. And so many other ways to look at it. But, you know, I've been in it a while and this is what I've kind of honed down to working for me. Mm-hmm. For a while, I, I tried to use every technique CBT had to offer. And, you know, yeah. I was journaling. Yeah, I got to find what we're And that's, a, that's, that's kind of like natural selection. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's allowing that natural selection to happen. It's allowing you know, those, the allowing it just to be like, and and I've gone through this. I'm like, I don't like journaling. And and honestly, I'm telling, that's not an example. I'm telling you, I do not like journaling. And you had to try for numerous, numerous times to see whether or not that was the case, right? It was pulling teeth. It was pulling teeth. And and, and what it became more for me was it didn't, you know, it didn't really serve me in terms of venting what was going on. For me, Mm -hmm. it was just another way that I was kind of paying attention to my anxiety sometimes distraction can be wonderful and and mm. um sometimes we need distraction can be certainly helpful yeah. with mental health too there's mm-hmm. no shame in it i i think you know one of my biggest flaws earlier on was going through an anxiety a, a period of anxiety and um and throwing everything at it mm. and then basically the process basically starts becoming part of the problem because mm-hmm. all I'm doing day in, day out, day and night, wake up and work is focusing on mm-hmm. trying to fix my anxiety And somewhere in there, people have to live their lives. And there's a lot of healing within going for Absolutely. coffee, meeting a friend, mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to work, going for a drive, going for a walk. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in just that and just forgetting about it and, and doing your thing. And I mean, avoidance is the most natural reaction that we know as humans, it's literally ingrained into our genetic code. Mm-hmm. We don't like an experience. We worry about a threat. We worry about a potential scenario. Mm-hmm. We worry about X, Y, Z. We're mm-hmm. going to do whatever we can to, whether it's emotionally or physically, move away from that thing because it gives us immediate relief. Yeah, right? yeah, for but sure. Then as we know too, it, it comes at a cost later on if we perpetually avoid a thing that serves in the short term, but not in the long term. Yeah, in the long term, it's, you know, the, I guess that's part of, you know, the therapy of facing your fears mm-hmm. in a controlled environment, in a controlled mm-hmm. way. And, and uh, you know, I, I had to do that. I, I went through a horrible phase of uh, fear of flying. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I was, you know, and I re- what I realized was I would spend the f- a few days being afraid about the flight coming up. I'd be, oh my gosh, I'd be checking the weather. It, it, and this all stemmed from a really difficult landing we had in Halifax once it was really shaky and windy and blah blah blah. um and so I wasn't really being rational but I was kind of getting uh, obsessive about like checking the weather uh, you know all this kind of stuff the day before getting myself more and more worked up more and more worked up I'd get the courage I'd go on the plane and as soon as I got on the plane my anxiety would be gone completely it's just pure anticipatory anticipatory anxiety Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And most people experience it and you experience it for good reason. You know, you're going Mm -hmm. into a test, you would have some anticipatory anxiety and that anxiety is, you know, Mark, um, that is there to get you on your game, to kind of get the blood flowing, Mm -hmm. but being paralyzed for days before a flight, that's not helpful anxiety. It's fear of fear itself. Right. Yeah, exactly. For those, uh, the ones that really like to get into the theory of it, searching the yerkes dodson curve is exactly what you're describing here mm. it's that relationship between how anxiety could actually enhance performance but mm. it is very much like a bell curve where if we have too little 
anxiety motivating us, we won't perform as well because we're mm -hmm. not trying as hard. But yeah. if we also have way too much, then it could be quite crippling too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A potential failure. Um, yeah. Potential breakdowns. All, all that. Yeah. And yeah. I and I guess you know I you know ultimately that that is me and that's that's where I I kind of have determined that I am now in terms of my emotions and mm -hmm. and you know realizing that everybody has fear. Um, everybody goes mm -hmm. through fears um, and, and, uh, and then not expecting um, a cure, not expecting perfection. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that by any means to discourage anybody. Mm -hmm. um, it, people who might be out looking for a cure for anxiety. I'm just saying um, we all will have anxiety and chances are you'll have anxiety, you know, maybe to a higher degree than a lot of people. Um, but I look at it like, like you're talking about a bell curve, similar to that. I look at it like, like a wave chart, waveform. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. normally I would be, you know, spiking up and then dropping way down, then spiking way up and then dropping way down. Mm -hmm. And now I spend, you know, my days kind of visualizing that gentle wave of emotion, the, the gentle curve, you know, mm -hmm. up and down, up and down, like everybody experiences it. Um, they just don't wear it on their sleeves as much as maybe people who, who suffer with anxiety do. Um, I, I get the sense the way you're even describing this is almost you kind of roll with the punches and anticipate that there's just going to be moments where you have to lean into it and sit and get comfortable with it until yeah. it passes. Yeah, totally. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's really helpful. Um, my my dad, for example, uh, he's he's one of those frustrating people that, uh, you know, basically I had to describe what anxiety was to him. He's never really had anxiety in his life. And I'm Eastern European. What's that like? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, exactly. And, and it, it's so frustrating when you run into somebody who you kind of have to describe sort of um, what anxiety is like. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, but those people, if you bump into those people, there's a lot to learn from those people. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad was somebody who it seems like he was born with, um, the ability that he was born with cognitive behavioral therapy built into him mm. using a completely different language. Interesting. Um, yeah. So to give you a quick example of how he would, yeah. you know, if I was facing an anxious situation or a point of conflict or anything like that, my father would say to me, you know, John, if you reach that point, because part of my mental health, part of my anxiety when I was older came out as being um, confrontational, you know, arguments mm -hmm. and, and knee jerk. But anyway, um, he, he said, you know, you have to ask yourself when you're faced with that point of conflict, that point of, you know, you feel like your anxiety rising up, mm -hmm. ask yourself quickly, is this the hill I want to die on today? Is mm -hmm. this, you know, the hill I would like to die on? And, and that's like, a, that's like cognitive behavioral therapy. You're quickly checking your thoughts mm -hmm. and 99 times out of hundred, if you, if you run that and, and you gain that bit of perspective, it's not a hill you want to die on. Do I um, want to engage with this? Do yeah, I want exactly. to pay attention to this? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's it's your every right to not do that. Mm -hmm. And then he would add, if you decided you were going to die on that hill today, the next thing you quickly think before you go any further is how do I want this to end? Like how do, mm. what what does it look like tomorrow? What does it look like at the end of this conversation? What does it look like at the end of this job interview? What does it look like at the end of this flight? You know, mm -hmm. how do I visualize that I want this to end? And there's a lot of power in that. And I use that every day. If I'm going through anxiety during my day for whatever reason, I often think, how do I want this day to end? And it mm -hmm. ends with, you know, 
maybe watching some TV, watching a game, um, you know, going to bed early, listen to a podcast. I think of those things that make me comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so the, those are two, like I say, there's people who, people who, who don't really understand anxiety. There's a lot to learn from them. Um, Absolutely. And they're usually yeah. very forthcoming with, you know, with, with all the tools that, that for whatever reason they've been, they've, they were born with, or they developed over the years. I mean, as I've learned over the years and just being in my own forms of therapy, but also just learning on a professional level, just the vast array of different ways that people visualize change happening. Mm. A big piece that's fairly consistent is this acknowledgement that there is going to be this inevitable piece of there's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain sometimes, yeah. but you get to choose how you react to it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's very touching the way that you're describing that to have this understanding of even we didn't have an understanding of mm. these models and these different me- mechanisms of change. Mm. My dad had a version of this, mm. which is pretty wicked. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's incredible. So John, I, I want to just ask, you know, we've covered all these different topics. Mm. I want to ask one more specific question just regarding medication. Cause I know it's a very stigmatizing topic and mm. for a lot of folks, they have a lot of ambivalence, even thinking about meds. Right. Is there anything that you would want people to know about your experience about medication? For sure. Um, yeah. Uh, medication, like, like I said earlier, the, the, the first thing is, you know, um, it, it's like, you know, it's like everything else. And, and basically, you know, I, I want people to view their anxiety journey um, with patience. Mm. Uh, you, you have to have patience with yourself. Um, mm-hmm. You have to know that you have to, you know, observe that day in, day out, you may feel like you have anxiety every day. We don't. So patience is a huge key to this mm-hmm. whole thing. And, and, you know, you, you can call it stubbornness, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> perseverance, mm-hmm. fundamentally patience. Um, medication takes can take time to figure mm-hmm. out. And I think it's very valuable um, mm-hmm. for people. Uh, I, I, I've seen a lot of people that it's helped, way more people than it's hurt, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you, there's, there's quite a few different kinds, as you know. Um, and sometimes it takes a bit of time, you know, people get frustrated that, you know, it takes, oh, up to two, three, four weeks for effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard about people who've had effectiveness in a matter of days, and then mm-hmm. some people that didn't have any kind of effectiveness. So that's where you need patience with medication, first of all, to find something mm-hmm. that's effective for you. Right. Um, second of all, I, I still fundamentally think it is a private matter. Um you know, you don't have to tell me if you take medication for blood pressure. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell me if you take medication for diabetes or for mm-hmm. in a, for, for heartburn or whatever it happens to be. And I, and I feel like people don't have to disclose that very personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Possibly the most important thing with medication is when it makes you feel better is to keep your foot on the pedal, mm-hmm. um, to keep digging in, to keep don't stop seeing your psychologist psychiatrist don't stop going to group don't mm-hmm. stop don't stop you know being a student of your of your situation keep mm-hmm. learning keep learning mm-hmm. about yourself you have to keep going inward it's not an easy thing looking at those things that maybe are your fault the reason you're here uh so it can be very humbling that way but keep doing that um not with the idea of getting off medication by the way, don't ever go off medication without assistance. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, without getting, you know, not with the idea necessarily of getting off medication, um, but just with the idea that, you know, you will be able to 
function happily, um, mm -hmm. no matter what the situation is. Maybe you go off medication, sure, mm -hmm. and, and, and you've developed those tools and you feel better. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you stay on, maybe you lower the dose um, and, and, uh, and keep developing those tools. Keep going inward, keep trying to understand yourself. Mm -hmm. um, don't try and blame external situations <laughs> for your problems mm -hmm. as much as you can. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I believe med this, you know, med medication for anxiety, depression is just as valuable as medication for any other sort of common, you know, malady that people take blood pressure, um, mm -hmm. you know, for angina, whatever it is, there's a million. Um, and some people, possibly me, I I'm not sure, you know, the jury's still, some people will just be on it for the rest of their life. And, and that's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. That's fine, too. It's the uncertainty of not knowing that I think often propels people to have so many fears and worries about yep. this substance, this medication, right? Yeah. And I think you yep. put it very astutely that at the end of the day, everyone's going to be a bit different. Mm -hmm. You always want to make sure that you're having those conversations with your doctor before mm -hmm. anyone else, mm -hmm. before any changes are made. Yeah. But also recognizing too that it doesn't have to be forever and also could be forever. That's it, it, yeah. And also remember, you know, in terms of medication, when I was in my, uh, when in the early nineties, when I first started going on medication, um, it was like, it was Prozac, right? Like mm. that was kind of it, you know, right. <laughs> and, right. um, and, and Prozac still a very effective medication, but, um, now is the best time in history to be trying medication because the, the technology is so much further. They're honing it down there, you know, all mm. these different kinds of, you know, sort of medications that they're coming up with. Um, you know, there's some, uh, there's like a nasal spray medication for depression. Um, there's all kinds of different ones that are really much more targeted to what you're going through. Mm. So now, you know, evolutionarily with, you know, in terms of pharmaceuticals, this is probably the best time to be doing mm -hmm. it. It's the safest time to be doing it. We've got 40 years of study under our belt on this stuff. And um, so I, you know, I would definitely, if you're in that situation and you feel like that, you need that help, you need that relief. Yep. Go to your doctor, go to your psychiatrist and, um, and figure something out. Words to live by. Really appreciate that message. And final, final question for you here, John. Yep. You know, it's been so long since you've been in this boat, riding out these waves of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I want you to imagine yourself when this experience first started happening you were lost you were confused you felt stuck mm -hmm. what would you say to yourself knowing the information you have now to give that encouragement to give that peace of mind what would you want john that's 11 years old to know? that's 11 years old okay wow yeah. um because i yeah, think that's, that's when you said the first episode or when you first started noticing the, the very out. first thing and, and again i go back this is the fundamental and, and mm -hmm. it would have really helped me is the very first and most important thing is you're not alone. Mm. I know in hindsight, I had people in my peer groups that went through it um, and talk about it. Talk about it with people. When you're 11, you don't want to talk about it with maybe your friends, but you could talk about it with your parents, with mm -hmm. your siblings, with whoever is comfortable. Mm -hmm. That is sort of the most fundamental thing that I would want me to know is that I'm not alone. This is normal. This happens to a lot of people. I'm not dying. I'm, I'm not going to die from this. These are the, the, that's probably what I want to tell myself. You, you're definitively not alone. Well, it goes without saying that that message is what you are constantly exuding in a lot of these stories that you're facilitating on here. Mm -hmm. So 
thank you for your time today. Thank you also just for all the hard work and commitment and passion that you bring to this project that has just gotten so big over the years. Yep. It truly wouldn't be the same without you. So thanks, John. I, you know, I appreciate you uh, being the, being the interviewer. It's, it's just been so great talking to you. Thank you, Mark, for doing this interview and for all the help that you do for Anxiety Canada and for people with anxiety as well. My pleasure. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.